Hello and welcome to The Grand Thunk, the podcast in which we, Alex Blanchard and Rhiannon Kearns, discuss what we've been reading, watching and listening to, a fairly simple premise. We have transcripts in our link tree, which is in our Instagram bio at The Grand Thunk. You can message us on there or email us thegrandthunk at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. So please subscribe, rate, review and tell all your friends. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, really good. Good. I'm <laughs> I'm going to dive right in. Go on, dive away. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about the book I've been reading this week, which has been phenomenal. 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 <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> totally phenomenal. Excellent. I've Love been it. transfixed. It's called The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare. And it's just, oh, sublime. Louding voice as in loud? Louding. Louding. Yeah, I'll come to that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping the gun. Carry on. Not at all. <laughs> it's everything that I love in a book. It's got this amazing voice and this really, really beautiful use of language, which I will touch on later. (laughs) And it tells the heartbreaking story without breaking the reader, if that makes sense. It transfixes you and takes you along on the journey without destroying you. And it has this real positivity and hope that inspires the reader, which I really, really enjoyed. It tells the tale of a dunny who is 14 when she is told by her father that she is being married to the local taxi man. And she's being sold for her bride price so that her father can pay their community rent and provide food for his family, which isn't unusual in Nigeria. The book tells us that 17% of girls, particularly in the northern areas of Nigeria, are married before the age of 15, despite it being made illegal in 2003. However, Adani's mother, who died not long before the books begin, had made Adani's father promise not to let Adani marry because she knows the importance of education for young women. And she tells Adani this story about the man that she loved before she was married to Adani's father and how she was prevented from marrying him because of her lack of education. And she says, quote, Your schooling is your voice, child. Even if you didn't open your mouth to talk, it will be speaking until the day God is calling you come. Mm. And Aduni responds to this by saying, I didn't want to be having any kind of voice. I want a louding voice. Ah. Yeah. And it's this voice that we feel all the way through the book, that a louding voice So it's a voice that stands up for itself and a voice that stands up for others and that believes in justice and honesty and being good to others. And Mm. more than anything that I think this book says, I think a louding voice is a voice that doesn't give up on itself or on others. So Aduni responds to her father's news of her marriage by pleading her case and she tells him that she wants to be educated and she wants to teach and she wants to give other children a voice and she makes sure he knows that marrying Marufu means throwing all her futures in the dustbin. Her voice isn't heard in that situation. Her father ignores her and she goes on to be married to Marufu, who's a man many, many years her senior with two wives already. 
I don't want to give too many spoilers, but Adoni's journey leads her to Lagos to the employee of Big Madam, where the working conditions are terrible with constant threat of beatings and worse. But she is given this opportunity for going back to school and Adoni leaps at the chance. And I think that's where the louding voice comes in that she repeatedly stands up for herself and for others in all these situations and continues to search for opportunity and search for a better life beyond the life that she is presented. The book discusses the role of women in Nigerian society and particularly in terms of reproduction and children and powerful moneyed women like Big Madam and educated women like this character Tia and particularly young and poor women like Adoni suffer at the whims of men and trigger warning for anyone reading the book to do with sexual assault. In this world where having children is seen as something of paramount importance and Adoni knows that her education can free her to do other things than have children. She tells us that 15 million children under the age of 14, mostly girls, were working across Nigeria. And when she says working, I think she means something more akin to her own situation, which is essentially domestic slavery. She knows that education will open up fields of work like being a lawyer and allow her to earn her own money and give her a louding voice that will be heard. And... What's so unbelievably beautiful about this book is the language. Adoni speaks in what I guess is described as broken English. But do you know Kintsugi? No. So it's the Japanese method of repairing cracks. Oh, the gold thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I remembered it after you said it. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the Japanese method of repairing cracks in sort of crockery or vases with gold. And the idea being that the cracks make it more valuable. Beautiful. Yeah, which is such a beautiful metaphor. And I think so that nice. really works for her voice here where... There might be shortfalls in her grammar, but her imaginative and stunning metaphors only serve to build an extraordinary picture. And I've pulled oh, wow. a couple of extracts from literally the first few pages because it's so chock-a-block with this extraordinary language and, and amazing storytelling. And again, such a beautiful voice. Mm. So I'm going to give you a taste. Quote, I know he wants to tell me something bad. I can see it inside his eyes. His eyeballs have the dull of a brown stone that has been sitting inside hot sun for too long. And then this is another one. Why is he telling me something I have already know? Something that cause a hole inside my heart and fill it with block of pain that I am dragging with me to everywhere. Oh, wow. I rub my chest where the too many questions is causing a sore, climb to my feet with a sigh and walk to the window. Outside the moon is red, hanging too low the sky, be as if God pluck out his angry eye and throw it inside our compound. Oh, that is amazing. It feels so authentic and... Yeah, such vivid storytelling. Yeah, it just mm. really feels like you're... I already feel like a vague connection and like you know a little bit about this person because you're hearing their mm. their raw voice and their raw words it's not polished it's not it's oh I love that that's so beautiful yeah she has such a sort of honest and clear way of seeing the world and mm. it's so interesting watching her piece together 
the more matter of fact ways in which the world works to do with sort of monetary transactions and not based on this romantic notion of doing good to people Mm -hmm. and it's just it's a really really stunning book I suppose it's a little bit like you know the joy of seeing things through a child's eyes or when a child says something Mm. that's so in a way simplistic but also not the idea of it being simple but just without the layers that life puts on things it's just really mm. at its at its core and its truth and speaks with that real clarity and honesty and sometimes it can be really funny when a child says something like that or just really mm. transparent and it sounds a little bit like that and I guess she's not a child but she's very young and hearing that that reasoning and those those thoughts and descriptions through that gaze mm. is so refreshing I like I really like the sound of that Well, I think that is the point because she is a child. She is 14 Mm. and she is put into these incredibly adult situations of marriage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is, I think, even more shocking. And I think you're so right about the way in which language acts as a shield I think for a lot of us the way in which mm. saying something like saying it's it's raining cats and dogs doesn't necessarily get to the heart of how it feels to be standing in the rain if that makes sense yeah it puts a layer of I guess history and assumption and interpretation definitely yeah on Mm. top of a feeling that instead of saying oh for example saying someone's sitting on their laurels that has come so far from its original idea of Mm -hmm. the laurel wreath being given and your award and that instead of carrying on doing more things in your life you're sitting on the awards and accolades that you've previously received and not going on and creating more from that that saying oh stop resting on your laurels creates so many sort of assumptions about a person Mm -hmm. within a very short phrase language holds so much when it has multiple strands of thought and meaning that come out from an idea that when that's stripped away it becomes incredibly honest and incredibly moving I think Mm-hmm. yeah exactly it just it cuts straight to the chase in oh, there you go there's another one <laughs> just talking nah. in riddles but it does it cuts straight <laughs> to the important thing and the thing mm. you're actually trying to convey yeah it feels a lot more present you know you see yeah. you feel you say rather than you see you feel you layer with all these complex ways of describing and then yeah relay or whatever and that you don't have all the assumption based on every other time you've heard someone say cut to the chase. It's just a mm-hmm. totally fresh way of seeing the world through new yeah. sort of metaphors. Mm. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I really recommend it. I can't believe it hasn't won a sort of major prize, actually. Yeah. What have you been watching or reading? I have been watching. So I watched the most glorious film the other day and uh, I've just been very happy ever since. So (laughs) I watched, (laughs) it's one of those films that just kind of has kept me ticking along. It's so wholesome and interesting and Mm. my mind keeps kind of wandering back to it, which I think is always a good sign. Mm. It's called The Dig. Ah! (laughs) I watched that this week too. (laughs) Are you serious? Really? This was bound to happen at some point. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Okay, I'm brilliant. That's great. I can't wait to hear what you think. Mm. So yeah, this is a film. It's just come out in the last Mm. month or so. It's called The Dig and it's on Netflix. And it stars our favourite actor, previously mentioned, Carrie Mulligan, (laughs) and Ray Fiennes. And it tells the real life story of Mrs. Pretty, who hired Basil Brown, a self-taught excavator, to dig up these huge mounds of earth 
on her land. Mm. It's an extraordinary tale and it's so beautifully told. I think the shots are just stunning. And I felt really peaceful watching it. I don't know if it had that effect on you as well. I just found it very, well, elements of conflict as well. But the the general feeling of the of yeah. the film just had me in a very happy kind of soothed place just probably partly because of its setting so it's set in Suffolk and oh I don't know just the gorgeous shots of the evening sunshine on the fields mm. and the beautiful house and the rolling fields it just really took me to a place that I wanted to be in right now mm. instead of lockdown and I don't know about you but I'm I'm really enjoying shows or films or anything that are visually mm. uh, like spectacular or visually soothing they're just a, an escape from the everyday did you find that with this film? I thought it was totally beautiful. I loved, mm-hmm. I think as well that you're probably going to go on and talk about it, but like how subtle it was. And I think the yeah. way that it shows sort of a, a changing sky or something really harked mm-hmm. to that subtleness that it's just a really kind of underplayed, but not in a, not in a bad way, just yes. really slow playing mesmerizing film Mm, that's such that's yeah Mm. completely in line with how I felt it's just got that lovely gentle pace and when I say that and similarly to what Alex has described it's not slow it's not like Mm. tedious it's not hard to get going it's just gentle and it's Mm. really really captivating storytelling with it's almost like it doesn't need the frills and the Mm. kind of the extras it's just really pure and they're just such superb performances mm. I always adore Carrie Mulligan's work she's just such a truthful actor mm. and Ray Fiennes it was just incredible in this role I've not seen him in this sort of character before and he completely embodied this man I think mm. when you see such a well-known actor in something that's perhaps a bit different to them or to the things they usually do mm. I often can't completely let go of watching them transform yeah, does that yeah, make yeah. sense Mm-hmm. I sort of watch it and think, oh, I'm just, I'm loving, I don't know, like, I'm loving Hugh Grant's performance in this. It's so good. But I can't mm. fully let go of the fact that I'm watching Hugh Grant as an example. Yeah. But in The Dig, I totally lost Ray Fiennes and mm-hmm. just met Basil Brown. And he was so endearing. They all mm. are. The relationship with Mrs. Pretty's son and oh. the relationships. Oh, wasn't he amazing? He's a beautiful yeah. child actor. So fantastic. And the team that arrived to help with the dig, Um, Lily James plays an archaeologist in the team. And, you know, we sort of see her her marriage and her relationship play out as well. Sorry, I should Mm. have said at the beginning, this is all set in 1939, right on the cusp of World War Two. And so Mm -hmm. that is looming ahead and it does come into play later in the film. Did you mention this, the excavation of Sutton Hoo? Mm. So, yeah, I didn't know whether to say or not, because that's something that right, maybe it was just me, but right at the end I was like, oh, Um, Oh. oh right because but I suppose if you're oh, okay, but I think okay, if you're okay. more historically up to date or savvy than me you'd probably know that straight away <laughs> it's right at the end I was like oh that's this oh no that was a spoiler I hadn't thought no I don't think so I think it's only a spoiler if you're historically slow like me <laughs> and proud it means you get good surprises when you're watching historical <laughs> drama <laughs> It's fact, but it's still a surprise you to me. You watch a lot of historical drama. I love. I know. It's funny because I'm not. Maybe it's maybe it's conscious or not. I don't know. I'm really slightly always regret and I'm embarrassed that my history knowledge is really quite shoddy. It's something I mm. dropped at school as soon as I could. I just obviously wasn't very inspired. And mm. and Sam particularly is so into history and has a fantastic knowledge. And so I'm always really aware of how badly mine levels up. And so I, I really enjoy it when you can watch oh, something 
and learn something, yeah, but yeah. also be totally lost in yeah. this wonderful story. I just love that balance. Mm. So it's Mrs. Pretty who owns the land where this excavation is happening. So Mrs. Pretty is played by Kerry Mulligan and Basil Brown is played by Ray Fiennes. Mm-hmm. And we see their passion and their intrigue for what lies under the earth collide. And they're such different people, but that shared mm. passion is so beautiful. And he very slowly mm. makes these absolutely extraordinary revelations. And his work, the character Basil Brown, he's not fueled by qualifications or very high-level training or status. He's a very down-to-earth local person mm. who is clearly extremely talented and has learned about archaeology and excavation from his father and from his practical work and his study and a lot of his intuition. Mm. And I really liked that kind of combination of Mrs. Pretty, this very wealthy landowner, and Basil Brown, mm. who is got all the experience but none of the kind of status. And they both have this shared passion to discover what lies under the earth. It's just mm. such a special film. I, I really enjoyed it and I felt it offered something different, something more gentle, that yeah. roaming pace we've discussed. And it just gave a lot of room for consideration in the details of the story and those mm. kind of nuances of the character. And yeah, like I said, just anything mm. that's a real life story, I absolutely love because you just sort of learn something whilst being whisked away by a marvellous plot. So it's a win-win for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's so beautiful the way it deals in inference. I loved, like you were saying, that the way in which the relationships are played mm. out in this very subtle, slow yeah. way, and particularly the relationship between Basil and his wife, oh, I thought was so interesting. Wasn't that so gorgeous? I know. And it's based on like so much understanding yes. and just that they totally get one another. Yeah. And that history that that you as the viewer don't need to have seen played out to know how they've got to the place mm. they're in. I just thought it was that assumed mm. relationship that they were both so comfortable in and mm. there was no I don't know you weren't trying to second guess anything it just it was just right it was so lovely mm. lovely is a word I've overused yeah. in this description <laughs> but it was it's lovely no I think probably one of the reasons why you felt so sort of secure and happy watching the film is that you know that they've like almost from the sort of the first 10 minutes you know that the filmmakers have got your mm. back and they just want to show you this beautiful thing unfolding yes that's such a nice way of putting it they don't want to sensationalize yeah. it and they don't want to disrupt and create this kind of rupture mm. because the rupture's already there because they've got the world war mm-hmm. happening and they've got this incredible tension between the museum people and Mrs. Pretty and Basil and, and the people involved in the, in the dig with heart yeah. and the people that want it for the sort of influence the and, and the praise and notoriety mm-hmm. yeah and that tension's already there and you don't need you don't need to sort of create drama I, I think that's what you feel exactly from, from the book. totally not the book the well film. speaking of the book it's actually it's yeah. based on the novel The Dig by John Preston mm. which is published in 2007 I'd love to hear more about that if anyone's read that book please get in touch because there's often so much more mm. to a story than that which makes it to the film version so for the amount of mm. detail and enjoyment and love in the film I'm sure there's even more in the book the film is written mm. by Moira Buffini who <laughs> I saw yeah, that yeah who um <laughs> is, is a, a, amongst other things a playwright but also wrote Harlots which I spoke about in our very first episode which feels like a very long time ago now oh, very fast <laughs> I know isn't that just uh, planned it all <laughs> one thing that I loved I don't know if you noticed this a very sort of interesting stylistic choice that I think they played with was mm. a kind of synchronicity or maybe lack of synchronicity between the audio and the visual at certain points there was yes oh okay I'm so glad because I thought maybe I was just going mad there was a couple of shots of 
faces mostly reacting to each other in the moment as the dialogue continued to play but the characters weren't mm. actually talking so their mouths weren't moving they weren't yeah. delivering it but we were seeing their still or maybe mm. moving faces connecting to each other whilst we heard the dialogue running on and it was mm. this is just a guess but it kind of felt like they'd maybe shot it once normally and mm. then again just with the actors having that kind of silent interaction without the lines. Mm. And then they kind of played with mixing the visual and the audio. And I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. Have you got a better way of mm. describing that at all or anything to add? Yeah, it was like having a voiceover, except the yeah. voice was the dialogue continuing. Continuing, but it yeah. added so much to the dialogue because mm. you really got to see, instead of it being cutaway shots of, I don't know, beautiful sunsets it was it was so focused on the characters and yeah. their genuine reactions and the sensitivity of those reactions yeah you could really see the acting coming into play it was a, i feel like it was a film that really allowed mm. the actors to act it almost felt like you were having a little window into like an acting exercise that they'd left in almost mm. it was so cool and i thought it kind of added to that still atmosphere that we've kind of been mm. describing that the, the whole film had. I think, you know, so the area for the dig where they were doing this excavation is a little way away from the house. And so, you mm. know, far enough that it's, it's a good walk and they had a little shepherd's hut nearby to shelter in as the house was so far away. And so the actual mm. dig was really quite peaceful and remote. And often to begin mm. with, it's just Basil and two of Mrs. Pretty's staff working. So it wasn't really busy. And also the nature of this kind of work is very slow and methodical and gentle. So mm. it all just tied into that very gentle pace and this calm environment with the long grass and the water nearby mm. and it was just so soothing and I think that that shot style of having the kind of disparity between audio and visual just added mm. to that and I don't I hope this doesn't come across like oh I'm going to watch this really slow film because it certainly isn't it's just really detailed and and fascinating and and perhaps mm. something to do with that is the direct well I'm sure it's a lot to do with the director but the director was a guy called Simon Stone who's work I didn't really know except that he's also a, an actor and a theatre director and he adapted the script and directed Yerma at the Young Vic a few years ago I don't know if you you mm, saw it or heard anything no. about it it was mm. an amazing production I had Billy Piper mm. as the lead and it was really really incredible and I think I, I didn't see it in person I saw the National Theatre live screening of it mm. and actually the more we we're talking about that kind of style and maybe that kind of slight like you said giving the, a lot of room to the actors to really act and you could tell it was a really rehearsed film mm. maybe that's a, a kind of a payoff of a theatre director that also works in film I, I don't know I might be doing him a disservice maybe he does loads of film and just a little bit of theatre but I just thought that was interesting that that was something else that this director Simon Stone does and then we really felt that in the characters I just thought the performances were so so good yeah and I think also who the characters were as well is important mm. that they really play into that I guess wartime stereotype of the silent generation that there are mm -hmm. people that will suffer incredible amounts and not speak about it and will kind of acknowledge that in each other but with just a nod or a glance or something yeah that they weren't an incredibly verbose style of people which I think is where the kind of difference between it being a gentle film because they're not kind of talking about all the things that are happening mm -hmm. but there is an awful lot of stuff that's at play and is underlying the whole film that isn't necessarily ever acknowledged but it's there and and the audience knows it's there without necessarily knowing and then when they do know it's heartbreaking I think mm. yeah 
Absolutely, yeah. Really heartbreaking. Oh, I'm so glad we both watched that. It was lovely to actually discuss mm. it with you having seen it as well. Yeah, I'll tell you what, my favourite bit about that film, which I just <laughs> I actually thought of you when, when I saw it, was the bit in which Basil comes back in a huff from the dig to his wife and he's peeved off because a bunch of museum men have come in and taken over his dig and he's telling his wife he's like oh not sure and and then she kind of provokes him into this outburst which is incredible <laughs> where she's like and what why why do you do this and he's like because i'm good at it and because it's important in terms of legacy and in terms of history and i just thought it was such an amazing thing for anyone that ever works in something that they love but are maybe underpaid or don't get the recognition they need and i just yeah. really <laughs> felt that where i was like yeah because you're good at it that's the thing that you can do and and then oh. you have to give something to the world even if the world doesn't know it <laughs> yes oh it was yeah that was a great moment oh so good. yeah r.i.p headphone users sorry for yelling so much <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so what else have you been watching or reading mm. this week? Oh my God. I hope you're prepared for this one because I'm not oh, sure no. I am. And if I can get through this without crying, <laughs> we're on a good... Oh God, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> the most beautiful book called How We Disappeared by Jing Jing Li. And it's absolutely fantastic. Trigger warnings for anyone who's listening. I will be discussing rape. But this book is, it's so gradual and subtle. Again, quite like The Dig, actually. It's set in a similar time period. It's set in Singapore in the 1940s when the Japanese invade. And it follows the interwoven stories of four characters, Wang Di, Kevin, Ama, who's Kevin's grandmother, and Soon Wei, old one, who is Wang Di's husband. But Wang Di is primarily our protagonist, and she's 17 and living in Singapore in a village when the Japanese invade. And she gets taken with some other women from the village and is forced to become a comfort woman for the Japanese which I don't know whether you know about Comfort Women. It's a kind of strange... No. It's a strange name that essentially women were taken to become sex workers for the Japanese army. But it's quite a strange name. I mean, it's still used today and it's used by the women. But it's quite an odd really? title, wow. I think, because it does nothing to explain the brutality of what happened. And it kind of sounds quite empathetic yeah. towards the troops that it is in the women were there to give comfort and they needed comfort and I don't know comfort's quite a strange word which I feel doesn't really describe how awful the things that were happening to the women were the story of Wang Di in one of these comfort stations is going on and meanwhile Kevin is a 12 year old boy who's growing up in the present day and he's losing his sight and is being bullied for it and so he started carrying around a tape recorder to try and sort of make up for the loss of his one of his senses and he's sitting at his grandmother's bedside when she starts speaking to him in this desperate and and hurried panicked fashion and he manages to record some of her words which end up being some of her last words and the words are things like I found him do you forgive me and it sets him on this journey that that leads him to find out about his grandmother's past during the war and the ways in which her life is woven in with Wang Di's and her husband Sun Wei's 
And it really is a story of silences of all the things that were kept inside and ignored. Wang Di returns to her family after the war and finds that no one wants to speak to her or or see her because she's sort of tainted and she's a traitor and and is it's so loaded and it's really feels the same as I think stories that I've heard from the sort of British perspective of soldiers returning with PTSD and no one wanting to hear or to help and I think from veterans nowadays Mm. that that end up on the street because they can't function within a sort of normal in inverted commas, working life because of the things they've seen and the responsibility that should happen from the state towards those people, but doesn't. And in these war narratives, there seems to be this no room for mental health. That There's this idea that the war is over and now is time for positivity and for moving on. And I think as well, it started making me think about lockdown and when the lockdowns are lifted. I hope we can find compassion for people that find it difficult to move on from this enforced period of mm-hmm. of staying inside because it's going to be it's nearly a year since the lockdowns began and that's a really long time to be mm. not allowed to see people and i yeah. know for myself certainly that there's a certain amount of agoraphobia that begins to set in after a while and i hope that we can have compassion towards everyone that's going to find that difficult and find it difficult to return to a normal society back to the book mm. wang di is mourning most of all the fact that she and her husband never discussed anything about their wartime experiences he dies fairly early on in the book Mm -hmm. and she was never able to talk to him about the war because it was so traumatic and she was so worried about the stigma of of him finding out and they knew so little about each other despite being each other's constant and loving companions for 50 years or more and it's just heartbreaking the way in which this stigma has been handed on to her from her family and from the people around her who say, you know, that no man will ever love her if they find out those sorts of things. And consequently, she never lets him Mm. or not lets him, but he is never able to tell her his story from the war as well. And Kevin's recording of his grandmother sends him searching through the scraps of his grandmother's life for her story and unknowingly discovers Wang Di's and Son Wei's stories. And it's just such a touching and heartbreaking wow. book and there's a documentary that Jing Jing Lee mentions in her acknowledgements and it's called Because We Were Beautiful which I watched the trailer after reading this book and it really broke my heart and I haven't watched the full film because I feel like <laughs> I really need to steal yeah. myself But the documentary tells the story of comfort women and the humiliation and fear that they endured and then continued to endure after the war. They're in their 80s in the documentary, which means they'll be in their 90s now. And I think what was so haunting for me about that trailer was the eyes of the women, which are... They had suffered so much and they were smiling, but they were so, so Mm. sad. And I think... One of the things that Wang Di struggles with is is this judgment from other people after the war that that mean that after everything she had endured, it was the judgment, and that yeah. it happened when she was a young woman, but it continued all the way through into her old age when she's still coping with her trauma by collecting rubbish and 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 sort of hoarding it in her house and being judged by others for that, and I think the judgment makes it hard to accept 
that what happened wasn't her fault. And the trailer touches on this in a heartbreaking way. The title of the documentary, Because We Were Beautiful, is taken verbatim from one of the interviews where one of the women suggests that maybe they were taken to be comfort women because they were beautiful, which sort of suggests that they were somehow to blame, that their beauty was the reason in which they were they were taken, which just like, I don't know, mm. really upset me that these women would be, mm. have lived so long with the thought that, that it was their fault and their bodies that caused that them to them. be to suffer in this way in such an inseparable mm. thing you know you can't change or m- remove mm. yourself from your physical being and to think that that's the thing that kind of catapulted you into this mm. horrendous experience that's just got to be just beyond difficult to try and yeah. process and, and live with so interesting i was doing some reading around it is that tensions because of this are still happening between japan and south korea Korea believes that Japan hasn't truly apologised despite the 2015 agreement on comfort women between Japan and the Republic of Korea, in which Japan formally apologised and contributed 1 billion yen to compensate the living survivors or families of the deceased. And in return, South Korea would consider the issue settled and dialogue with civic groups to remove a comfort woman statue in front of the Japanese embassy. And... I also read this very interesting article that suggests that the continuing controversy after that 2015 agreement over the comfort women is partly rooted, I'm quoting now, in a Manchurian worldview that divides people into innocents and oppressors and lacks awareness of a legitimate and alternative viewpoints. And I'm going to link this article in our show notes below. It goes on to cite the multiplicities of testimonies of women in comfort stations, some of which were more abusive and some more supportive, as well as the complicity, com- complicitness, com- as well as the ways in which families and neighbours mm. were complicit in mobilising women into brothels. And the article suggests mm-hmm. that activists were pressuring survivors to publicly conform to the dominant narrative of Japanese villains and innocent careers. And it goes on to suggest that the 61 women who accepted the Japanese compensation two decades ago in the 1994 Asian Women's Fund were vilified as traitors and denied South Korean government subsidies. So I'm not flagging this in any way to take responsibility away from the Japanese or to suggest that the survivors aren't speaking the truth, but more to emphasise the themes of the book, that these women's stories are Mm -hmm. being disappeared because of people feeling unable to speak because of the stigma and they they can't speak to their families and husbands, but also they would feel unable to speak and testify to their nation for fears of their stories being manipulated, which... Just, I mean, because this is still going now, which is 80 years. That's crazy. Yeah, it's still 80 going years on. after. There's, you know, a lot more between South Korea and Japan that's, that's a lot more nuanced than what I presented, I'm sure. But from the perspective of the, of the women, mm. I just thought that was heartbreaking to still be the center of controversy yeah. like this. And mm. the amount of silencing which has happened just... Yeah, really broke my heart. The book itself, it does have some really harrowing parts, but actually it isn't a huge tearjerker. It's only when you think about it afterwards, them 
the impact of it sort of settles in if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah well it sounds like such an incredibly moving book but also one that's clearly like set you on this trail to find out so much more and read and watch and discover so many Mm. other things which is always amazing when a story sends you in that direction yeah well like you're saying it is the way in which to uncover the histories and the voices of others Mm. to hear the louding voices and the ones that have been disappeared (laughs) yeah oh yeah that's a lovely symmetry very cheesy summary (laughs) (laughs) it's very good (laughs) oh Oh, well well done you made it through without without i know (laughs) i know there was a moment there (laughs) you'd cried it's okay that's okay it sounds like it was a Mm. really yeah, like I said, a real harrowing read, but also experience to just step into that mm. time mm. and those experiences and try and even think about them, never mind imagine the suffering. So it's, yeah, I can understand how it's had such an mm. effect on you. Something to brighten your mood, which <laughs> might Good. help. I can make absolutely no connections between what you've spoken about and what I'm about to speak about. So we'll just plow straight on. I've been watching this this tiny little show that probably no one's heard of with this relatively unknown guy called David Attenborough. <laughs> <laughs> niche. That is a really yeah, niche. Exactly. Not a hot tip. There's nothing niche about this. But I've just finally been catching up on Perfect Planet, which is the latest David mm. Attenborough series. Oh, I'll just never get over how incredible these shows and documentaries mm. are. They're just, you know, to say they're totally fascinating is doing them a disservice, really. And the mm. camera work and the skill is just out of this world. I just, I know, I think I've said it before, but I love that bit at the end of each episode where they kind of show you behind the scenes of how they got that footage. Oh, I just yeah. find it fascinating. It's so, for mm. such a beautifully put together and slick show I love how chaotic and difficult getting that footage is that you know <laughs> it's never as obviously as it's not like you just turn up one day stick a camera down and you've got this beautiful moment they're there for months but also just mm. the the kind of somehow the combination between the high-end technology and camera work mm. and the kind of in a brand new environment having to kind of DIY certain elements because you didn't know that was going to happen mm. and the weather's changed I just love that combination you've got this incredible kit but then they're also stood in like knee-deep acidic clay which they didn't know would fuse to their legs and now they're stuck and you know all these ridiculous things I just think it's amazing what an adventure how interesting how does it compare to my octopus teacher because I thought that was the really interesting thing about my octopus teacher is seeing the beautiful footage but then obviously seeing how inextricably woven this Mm -hmm. man's story is with with that footage and getting that yeah I I far prefer this sort of thing because Mm. it's so unintrusive you know you're really getting a close-up intricate detailed view of these incredible phenomenons and you've got David Attenborough narrating this incredible information Mm. but there's no ownership over it there's no intrusion it's very much here's what's out there and it's actually almost a slight warning to us you know the perfect planet theme of this series Mm -hmm. is about this perfect planet that we have the capacity to claw back or watch burn and I think Mm. that kind of slightly remote storytelling of the show is Mm. so so clever and so beautiful you don't need to have that you know person that's got the the relationship with what they're showing you do you remember like Mm -hmm. Steve Irwin when we were young was definitely the kind of big did you ever watch Steve Irwin shows the Australian like crocodile hunter 
And I know of him. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I used to love all of his stuff, but there was always a lot of controversy mm. around him because he would sort of poke the bear, so to speak, but with everything mm. other than bears, maybe. And <laughs> it was like, yes, he was doing an amazing job at educating the public and showing you these incredible things, but, you know, mm. potentially in a bit of an antagonistic cross-making way for these animals and disturbing the, mm-hmm. the peace. But there's nothing like that with the, this show. It's just pure beauty at its complete natural form mm. and they're just so impressive and there's so many cool things that they show you i'm going to give you my highlights so far from the episodes yeah, i've watched do, please just to whet your appetite so my <laughs> highlights so far are the defrosting wood frogs and mm-hmm. the fig wasps who impregnate their sister wasps with their telescopic penises that are twice the length of their body there you go impregnate sorry <laughs> Okay, I'll go into a bit more detail. (laughs) Yeah, my brain is just going to overdrive. (laughs) (laughs) They were two separate things, but so the defrosting wood frogs are amazing. They're Mm. they're cryogenic. And so these frogs basically freeze Mm. for the entirety of the winter months. Mm. freeze to the point that their heart would stop beating their blood would stop flowing mm-hmm. and then months later when the ice starts to thaw so mm. would they so they just thaw with their surroundings they literally defrost and they have this ah. incredible shot of the blood starting to trickle through the oh, veins wow. again and then you see the the movement of the chest as the heart starts to pump and the eyes even defrosting like it's unbelievable wow. i don't know how they got that shot yeah i know as well the waiting period for you know not knowing when the when it's going to defrost must have been extraordinary <laughs> i think yeah i think okay this might be wrong but i thought <laughs> sorry Go now i'm, it. Saying, bold. Make now I'm saying it it sounds silly <laughs> but the crocodiles get frozen as well and they freeze their noses above the ice so they leave that their two little nostrils plausible. poking out the ice so that they can <laughs> breathe i guess when they're what defrosting or frosting when they're sort of in the process in between i don't know sounds plausible and adorable so i hope you're right <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna google it now <laughs> unfortunately my live-in marine biologist is not in the room so i can't ask him otherwise <laughs> i could do a little fact check but it's not here <laughs> but yeah so those frogs were pretty cool and then my second favorite thing yes was i'm right fig wasps are you right yeah great great i had every faith in you <laughs> Yeah, tell me. So, fig wasps. So he starts by explaining, I mean, this is terrible. I'm basically trying to just reiterate David Attenborough's information (laughs) in a bad way without the cool voice, but I'll try. So he was talking about how figs are such an integral Mm. part of the ecosystem. And Mm. so fig wasps Mm. bury their way into the figs through the Mm. little opening. And as they Mm. do so, their wings fall off. Okay. This is just female fig wasps that do this. Mm -hmm. They bury their way in and their wigs uh, wigs oh, they bury their way in <laughs> their and their, yeah their wings fall off yeah and then they lay loads of eggs inside mm-hmm. the fig and then they die mm-hmm. and then the eggs hatch mm-hmm. and the male ones impregnate their sister eggs before the sister eggs have even fully hatched and literally these telescopic penises that are twice the size of the wasp mm-hmm. just come out and plonk their way into the next egg sorry so yes the eggs are male and female yes the eggs are male and female and the male eggs hatch and so the little male the male wasp comes out of the male egg and it's telescopic yeah. i just want to say telescopic penis as many times as i can during this section it's telescopic penis yeah, yeah. Please keep going. <laughs> finds its way into a female egg i don't know how they know they obviously just do and impregnates its sister 
and it's like a minute old or something it's just woken yeah. up and it telescopically yeah. penises a bunch of other eggs that's the word penises yeah it's the whole process <laughs> the whole lifespan of these figuas is, is brief they have a lot to pack in so wow. on they go crack on impregnate their sister wasps mm. and then all the eggs have hatched yeah. and then they all escape mm-hmm. and like bury their way out of the fig and in doing <laughs> yeah. so the male ones go first put their wigs back on <laughs> why don't i have a job on the bbc on a nature documentary it's travesty so then they all get out of the fig and the male ones go first and they act as a sacrifice because little did... Well, they do know that outside the fig, there's loads of ants waiting to eat them. Oh, my God. So then the male wasps are just there like, take me. And the ants wow. are busy eating them so that the females who do have wings yeah. can get out, yeah. fly away. And then they straight away fly to another fig. In they go. Wings fall off. Oh lay God. some eggs. And straight away. Carries on. The whole thing's over in 48 hours. Short little lifespan. <laughs> bloody hell I know. 48 hours yeah but wow. you'd rather be you'd rather be the female i think you get a bit of flying i have you get slightly more dynamism i guess yeah you you live outside wow. of the fig i guess the male ones just stay put inside and then get out and die with their telescopic penises wow. <laughs> i'm cool? really glad i asked you to expand on that yeah i'm really glad i asked you to say more because just saying telescopic penises wasn't enough because that it story wasn't. is a roller coaster from start to finish. I know. Bloody hell. So good. That was very But doesn't unexpected. it make you think when you watch these these like nature documentaries, mm. you just think like nature's mm. so mad. I don't know why we try and write new fiction when there's such crazy things happening <laughs> in nature. Mm. Like I'm not saying make a sitcom about fig wasps, but I kind of am in terms of there's so many weird things that happen on our planet that I think mm. would make great shows. Disney need to start catching up that's so true i mean they started with the princess and the frog (laughs) now they need to have the princess and the cryogenic frog (laughs) and instead of the bee movie just have the the fig bee movie Uh. (laughs) so yeah i'm right thinking does in the bee movie does one of the bees have a relationship with a human female oh i actually don't know as in a human female as in a woman (laughs) Those human females. (laughs) I cannot confirm or deny. I think the main protagonist is a bee. And I think he has a relationship with a human female. Mm, Weird. But but I'm, I'm just sort of wondering if that's like my childhood brain morphing the information that I received or whether that actually is the Mm storyline. In which case it is quite weird to have a sort of interspecies relationship between a wasp and a human. Uh, being a human well we sorry. shouldn't start diving into the the peculiarities of disney and pixar uh, films and the weird <laughs> messages they teach us or we'll be here all day yeah. <laughs> but yeah that sounds about right <laughs> but yes perfect planet is is my top tip this week mm. for something obviously very mind-blowingly impressive and beautiful to watch and you can impress all your friends with fun fig wasp stories yeah god what an episode and <laughs> actually our last episode for a little bit this is the end of season oh, yes. one i know i wasn't oh sure gosh, if you remember it <laughs> i hadn't until you just said that yeah <gasps> wow that's crazy kind of feel weirdly nostalgic oh. and sad at the same time <laughs> already so if you're if you're still here mm. you've been listening since the beginning thank you so much oh, and if you've just you. started yeah. today then thank you for joining us it's by no means the end we're we're cracking on already planning season two 
And we've just, yeah, it's been so enjoyable and I'm excited to crack on with more people with us. Yeah, totally loved it. And thank you so much, exactly as you said. And yeah, we'll be back shortly and we'll have loads of more amazing things to share with you, we hope. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. See you very soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.